I want to preach to you this morning a new you. A new you. It's a new year, but God has come to make us new. Maybe you've served him for decades. Maybe the the call upon your life has been in your heart for years. Maybe you've not failed him completely, but something inside of you this past year, you're happy to see 2017 go. Maybe there's something going on that's just leaving you uneasy. I'm telling you this morning, God wants to restore the peace, the happiness, the joy, the fulfillment, and I don't, it does not matter what goes on around you. You know what? Just being happy comes from our outward circumstances, but the joy of the Lord that the Bible talks about has nothing to do with what's going on around you. It has everything to do with what's going on inside of you. So I want to preach with the help of the Lord for just a little bit this morning, a new you. And then I'm going to have a little bit of a different type of altar call this morning slightly different amen resolutions who has made resolutions before i know i have made a, usually it's around a new year and we began to say you know what uh, there's some things i'd like to change some things that i'd like to make different and so we make resolutions but resolutions are really uh, about discipline or the lack of discipline uh, in our lives sometimes. And so we resolve, we become resolute to get some things disciplined in our life that need to be there. Most of the time we understand we know what we need to change. It, it's having the courage to actually go through with it. For some it's a diet, for some it's a, it's a new way of life, for some it's a habit that needs to be kicked, for some it's just something spiritual in your life that you want to draw closer to the Lord or whatever. Whatever your re- uh, resolution is, it basically revolves around you becoming more disciplined in whatever area of your life that you feel needs to be shored up and stabilized. Great leaders have something in common. They are disciplined. They are disciplined. And I uh, was reading a book here uh, recently about the last 18 days of President Abraham Lincoln's life. And it was said that the question of assassination was not if he would be assassinated, but when he would be assassinated. We as a nation were so torn that it was about ready to become two separate nations, the North and the South. Brothers were fighting against brothers. The nation that he loved was being torn apart. And yet, instead of hiding away in some dark corner someplace, scared for his life, you would find Lincoln, or so I read, where he would be walking out in wide open places. Places of vulnerability. And he was not walking in those places with fearfulness in him. But he was unafraid because he had a faith in God that God's will would be accomplished. And the other thing that kept him moving forward was that there was such a commitment in him to see the nation that he loved healed that it didn't even matter to him if it cost him his life or not. You know what kept him moving forward? You know what kept him unafraid? It was the fact that there was a greater cause than his own life that he committed himself to. And because of his commitment, 
commitment, all of his fear was wiped away. He was determined to see his country healed and his determination outweighed his personal well-being. He was committed to something greater than himself. Listen to what I'm about ready to say to you this morning. The Lord gave me this, this little thought. Success doesn't come because of how you feel today. You might come into this service today and you might feel the presence of God and you might have the goosebumps running all up and down your spine. You may walk out of here feeling great today, but I'm telling you, your success as a Christian, your success as a child of God, a man or a woman of God will not be determined by how you feel at the end of this service. Your success does, is not determined by how you feel today, but your success is determined by how committed you are to tomorrow we can feel God on Sunday and live for the devil on Monday all day long and have a life of unsuccessful relationship with the Lord but if we can get to the place where we come to church and do more than just feel God amen do more than just love God a little bit while we're in his presence but we can find a place of commitment to him it's life changing and God can take us into tomorrow and take us through tomorrow and every day thereafter if we commit to him if you want to lead your family commitment discipline if you want a place of leadership in the church, if you want a place of leadership in your job, many of you are in places of leadership where you work. How did you get there? You got there because somebody saw something in you that they could count on. Amen. You didn't get there because you called in sick every time you got a sniffle. You didn't get there because you just did whatever you felt like doing on what any given day. You didn't come get there because you just dressed however you wanted to dress and acted however you wanted to act and said whatever you wanted to say you got to that place of leadership because you were disciplined and you were committed commitment always gets noticed we know we should follow through we know that we should change i know i shouldn't have a big mac tomorrow i know i should fast more i know i should pray more I know what I should do. It's all about how committed am I to the values that I see and what the Lord has asked me to do. We lack the resolution needed to hang on until we accomplish our goals. And then what happens? I'll tell you what happens. We beat ourselves up. We feel bad. Guilt. We're guilt ridden. How many times have you said, I know I shouldn't be eating this? But, oh, it tastes so good. I know I shouldn't be doing this. And while we're doing it, while we're doing the very thing we committed ourselves not to do, we are guilt-ridden, but our guilt is not, uh, doesn't overcome the fact that we just want to do what this flesh wants to do. We are still living in fleshful lives, but the Bible tells us that if we feed that spiritual man, that that spiritual man can rise up and we can push the old flesh down. It's not because we can't do it sometimes. It's because we don't want to do it. And then the guilt takes over. And the only resolution a few years down the road that we begin to make is that my resolution this year is to never make another resolution. How many of you have given up on yourselves before? 
You just give in and just say, well, that's just who I am. That's just the way it's going to be. Let me tell you something. We live in a world and we live in a fleshly body. We live in a carnal man that can't do very much on its own. We are weak. But the word says, in my weakness, he is made strong. I have a God that I serve today that makes me able to accomplish anything if I do it with his blood covering me. I've come to talk to those of you that feel guilty today because I want you to understand that you're in the company of some of the greatest men and women in the Bible, that you are not alone. As a matter of fact, most of us could link arms in this today. There might be a few of you that just had that iron will out there. You set your mind to something and you just can get it done. But for the most of us, for the rest of us, you just link arms with, with this old weak boy right here, okay? You just, you just side up with me. Most of the rest of us, we have trouble making commitments. Samson was a Nazarite with a broken vow. Samson was a man who slayed thousands. Amen. He was a man that brought down the walls and killed more in his death than he did in his entire lifetime. But you've got to understand something. Samson had some weaknesses. Samson had some problems. Samson failed along the way. Samson made a commitment. His whole life was about commitment. And yet you find certain areas in his life where he faltered. But in the end, he said, God, if you'll forgive me and just let me feel your presence one more time, I just want to go out with a bang. Let me tell you something. You may fail along the way, but in the end of your life, amen, you can always come back to God. There's always a time and a place for God to draw you back in if you'll listen to him. God wants you to feel his presence presence doesn't matter what you've done doesn't matter where you've been doesn't matter who you are God died so that you could feel his presence if you'll simply call upon his name Elijah was a powerful prophet of God and yet you'll find after his what I consider to be his greatest victory up on Mount Carmel where all of the prophets of Baal are up there you'll find that he runs away because Jezebel threatens him and he runs away in a deep dark depression for his life and he begs God just take me out of here what kind of a prayer is that from a man that just had a mighty spiritual victory yet you'll find great men and great women of God you'll find that they've had places in their life where they have faltered and they had failed Peter was mighty with his mouth I'll never deny you hey I'm here till the end. I'm committed. I'll die. The disciples and Jesus are sitting at the table, and they're not just about to begin a new year, but they're about ready to begin a new dispensation, so much so that we change the timeline right there from B.C. to A.C., this is, this is what's about ready to happen. And, and they're sitting there and they already know that, that one amongst them is a traitor. Judas has already been possessed by the spirit of Satan. And now they break into this argument about which one of them will be considered the greatest disciple. Ever had any of your kids try to figure out which one of them was the favorite? We would always just take one of them at a time. And I always look at my kids and I say, you know, you're my favorite. And then I go the next one. Later on, I have them, you know, you're my favorite. They all think they're my favorites. There's something about being the favored child. What do they call you? The golden child? Is that what they call you? Uh, the golden child. We like to feel like we're the favored one. And here these disciples are, and Jesus is realizing we're right at the tail end of this thing, and you knuckleheads are over here wondering which one of you is my favorite. You're missing the point entirely. 
And then he turns to Peter and he says this, Behold, Satan hath desired to have you, that he may sift you as wheat. He's going to take everything good out of you, and he's going to sift you until there's nothing left. Satan wants you, boy, but I have prayed for thee that thy faith fail not. He looked at Peter and he said, I pray that you stay committed. That's what he was saying. That you stay in the race because Satan's after you. Satan's coming from you. Peter had no idea that he was going to be the one to stand up on the day of Pentecost and preach the first apostolic Acts 2.38 message that would change the world. He had no idea. He wanted to be that person, but he had no idea what he was going to go through to get there. And Jesus looks at him and says, you have no idea what's coming against you because Satan's after you too. I hope that you're committed enough, but you're going to have to stay in the fight. And when thou art converted, strengthen thy brethren. And he said unto him, Lord, I'm ready to go with thee both into prison and to death. Now that's some pretty strong words. I'll follow you. I don't care if they lock me up and throw away the key. I'll follow you, Lord, even if they put me on a cross, even if they take my life, if they behead me, I'll do whatever. I'll follow you till the day I die. It doesn't matter what happens. We'll never be separated. And Jesus looks at him and says, before the rooster crows for one time this day, thou shalt deny me three times that you even know who I am. Don't you think that Peter's jaw didn't drop? You've got to be kidding me. I would never do that. We don't know what we're capable of doing without the presence of the Lord in us. We don't know what Satan is capable of doing through us if we don't have the presence of the Lord working in us. Three desires in this scripture. Satan had a desire to sift Peter's wheat. Jesus had a desire that Peter would be committed. And Peter had a desire that he would follow Jesus no matter what. Three different desires. Jesus understood something that Peter didn't understand yet. And that was that Peter could not do it on his own. You see, the Holy Ghost had not yet been poured out. Peter had not yet been filled with the baptism of the Holy Ghost to give him the boldness that he needed to stand up when everybody says, men and brethren, what must we do? And he stood up there on that day and said, I'll tell you what you got to do. He didn't have the answer yet. He needed the Holy Ghost. And Jesus understood, Peter, there's a lot of talk that you can do, but when it comes right down to it, I'm going to have to show you just how much you need me. You're going to have to understand how weak you really are before you can understand how much you need me in your life to overcome the weaknesses that you have. And so Peter thought he was committed. Peter said he was committed. But Jesus knew that Peter needed to understand some things. And Peter needed to understand this, that he needed the help of Almighty God working in his life. We need the Holy Ghost. If you don't have the Holy Ghost today, friend, you're bound to falter. You're bound to fail. But if you can have the Holy Ghost on fire in you, amen, greater things than these can you do, amen, because the presence of Almighty God can accomplish anything through a willing vessel that is able and willing to serve him. Somebody clap your hands to the Lord this morning. God, help us be willing vessels, committed vessels today. Sometimes we think we've got the strength to do it on our own, and Jesus has to show us how weak we really are. And then that old rooster crows. Simply a wake-up call. Now what roosters are? They're a wake-up call. God can bring a wake-up call into your life. Not a real rooster. Now, if you're living in the middle of Chester, 
in the middle of Sparta, and you have a rooster crowing outside of your uh, window tomorrow morning, take notice, okay? That's the Lord speaking to you. But God can give us a wake-up call to help us understand, I can't do this on my own. No, there's some things that we battle. The Lord spoke to me the other day, and he said, you know what? He said, I see too many people trying to run away from what's chasing them. Instead of just trying to run away from it, they just need to run to me. The best way to get away from a problem in your life, the best way to get away from an addiction in your life, the best way to get away from a sinful thing in your life is to run to Jesus. Don't quit. Quit running away from that and just run to him. He'll hide you in the pavilion of his shadow. He'll take you under his wings. He'll care for you. He'll love you. He'll protect you. It's not about trying to get away on your own. It's about running to him so he can protect you from it. Plato said this. I don't quote Plato very much. Human behavior flows from three sources, desire, emotion, and knowledge. That's why we do things, because we want, we feel, and we know or understand. That's why we do things. Or that's why we don't do things. I won't go home today, turn on the oven, and stick my hand in it. Why? Because I have a knowledge of what would happen if I do that. So I don't do that, right? Now, when I was a little child, I didn't have that understanding. I might have touched something that was hot. I may not have understood the danger of fire, that it could hurt me, and I might have reached out and grabbed something. But very quickly, I became knowledgeable on the subject of pain. We want, we feel, and we know. And that's what drives most of the actions that we take on any given day. Because we know if we get up and go to work, even though we don't want to, that at the end of the week that we'll get a paycheck so that we don't starve to death and we can stay living in our homes right? The knowledge is there. We may not feel, the the whole key is we have to balance these things out. Because if we get these things out of balance in our life, amen, knowledge with no desire leaves us guilt-ridden. We can know what to do, but if we have no desire, if there's not enough desire to put our knowledge into action, we can know we ought to live for God. But if we have no desire to live for God, we'll stay guilt-ridden. We'll stay, it takes more than just having the knowledge, What do you say? Faith without works is dead. You can have the knowledge, but if you don't put it into play, it's no good. It's null and void. And so knowledge with no desire just leaves us feeling guilty. Desire with no knowledge can get us in a world of trouble. Amen. We can have desires and and, and not realize that what we're doing is going to cause us great pain. It's kind of like getting a credit card for the first time, you know, and we go out and say, oh, now I can afford to have all these things. No, you can't afford it. As a matter of fact, it's going to cost you a whole lot more than you ever dreamed it was going to cost you. Now they put these little things on your credit card statement. If you pay simply the minimum charge, you will have this $1,000 payment paid off in 37 and a half years. And it will only cost you $17,000 to do it. At least they have to be honest about how much they're going to rip you off now. So if we have desire without any knowledge, I've known people that get a credit card don't realize that they've got to, they, they've got to pay the bill when it comes in. Uh, seriously, you think, what? I'm like, yes, they're out there. It's dangerous to have desire with no knowledge. I knew somebody one time got a car. Didn't realize you got to change the oil in the car about every three, 4,000 miles. And you know what happened? He had desire. He wanted a car. He loved his car. It looked sharp on the outside. But about 10 months later, guess what? Boom, boom. There goes the engine. It's no good. No more. Done. He had desire but no knowledge. And then emotion that gets loose and takes over be like a runaway train. We can have all kinds of problems if we let our emotions dictate our actions. How we feel dictates what we do, 
we're in trouble every single time. It's about balancing these things out. It's about being committed to a lifestyle of living for God and putting him, seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these other things will be added. But we as human beings, we want to seek everything else in our life to bring fulfillment and enjoyment and all these things. We seek for pills to make us have peace. We seek for drinks and, and drugs a lot of times to, to give us a, that a feeling of excitement to help us feel anything but the numbness that we feel we seek for all those things and we if we have any time left then then we maybe fit God in or he is our last resort but God said you got everything backwards if you'll commit yourself to me if you'll put me first I'll have no other gods before me because I'm a jealous God I want you to be committed to me and if you'll commit yourself to me and my ways then I'll take everything that you're looking for and I'll begin to gradually put them into place in your life. I will add these things because I've come to give you life and life more abundantly. I'm at the age now where I look at life differently. Things have changed over the years. I've got to the stage now where I don't want to sound morbid, but if, if I were to die today, I would have lived a very fulfilling life. I've had a loving family. I've had children. I've got grandchildren. I mean, I perish the thought. But if I did, I would, I would feel like I had lived a very fulfilling life. But I still have lots of life left to give. There's a lot of things I still want to see and go and do. And I'm, I'm trying to save money for retirement. I'm going to be so disappointed if my kids get to spend that money instead of me. I worked for that. I put that money away in a little nest tank trying to get to a place where me and the little missus can run off and, and, you know, have a little fun every once in a while, you know, or at least live comfortably, not have to worry about too much, you know. I'm trying to do the right thing. I'd like to enjoy that. You know what the difference between Judas and Peter was? Because they were both on the same track for a long time. They were both sharing the same road for a while. Both denied Christ. Both made choices that they regretted making. Both of them were weak, even though they were shoulder to shoulder with Jesus Christ. They were right there. They had him in the flesh. For crying out loud, if you can't live for, for God while he's standing right next to you, we got major troubles. But you know what? Not everybody runs to God. They were driving in the same car for a while, old Judas and Peter were. But Judas gave up on his commitment. He looked at that silver and he said, man, I could do a lot with 30 pieces of silver. But once the deal was done, the guilt, so overrode him that he just dumped it out because it meant nothing to him. Anything that we do for sin's sake will never give the fulfillment that we expected it to give us. In the end, once it's in our hand, we'll say, and I sold out for this. Judas understood the futility of what he had sold his commitment for, and he let his sin take his life. And Peter let his life overcome his sin. You got to stick around and stay in the game. You got to get back up and fight again. You get knocked down. You falter, you fail. But you're still breathing. That means you're still qualified to get back up. 
You don't have to. So what if you've messed up? So what if you've, if you've walked away? So what if, if you're uh, feeling like you're riding in the back seat and Peter is driving and, and Judas is over there trying to navigate along the way? Which side of the car are you going to get out of? Are you going to get out on the same side that Peter got out of? Or are you going to get out with Judas and end it all? Let me tell you something today. Jesus wants you to come to him. Jesus wants us to be committed to him. Jesus wants us to serve him because he can do a whole lot with somebody that has failed but got back up and recommitted himself to him. When we talk about Peter, we don't speak of him in disdain. Oh, can you believe? I can't even believe they let him in the Bible because he, he after all, he denied Christ uh, just like Jesus said he would. Not once, not twice, but three times that old boy denied Jesus Christ Jesus knew it all along. You're not going to falter or fail and surprise God. He knows all along. That's why the word says he knows the end from the beginning. And everything in between right down to the end is what matters. Somebody in here today needs to hear what I'm saying because you fought your battle more than once. You've been knocked down. You've walked away with the bloody nose. You've been spiritually broken. You've been beaten down. You've been battered. And you felt the guilt of disappointing God and disappointing self. And you're carrying that load around with you today. And you're wondering, how much is God really willing to forgive? The song we sang a little bit earlier talked about his mercies are forever. The thought crossed my mind, God, you truly are a God of mercy because your mercies outlast my sin. Your mercies outlast my failures. Your mercies outlast my shortcomings. Your mercies outlast my fleshly behavior sometimes. And when I get up and I come back to you and I'm crawling and I'm beaten and I'm broken, you don't ever kick me down. You don't ever tell me. Not one single time has he ever told me, get lost, get out of here, you don't belong. But every single time he has reached down with love and he has put his hand upon me and he's saying, come on, get back up. Let's try this thing over. I can tell in your heart that you're trying trying let's get you recommitted and God every single time will take somebody that is sincere in their heart doesn't matter how many times we've faltered how many times we've failed the real commitment is when you're willing to get back up and stay in the fight don't let this world bring you down don't let the devil try to dissuade you from serving God you know in your heart what you need to do amen you stand up even when you're weak and the Bible says when you've done all that you can do if all you can do is standing that's what you do you just stand there when you're being battered when you're being hit when you're being punched amen when you're taking one in the gut you just stand there and take it because if you're still standing in the end you will receive a crown of righteousness Hallelujah. oh God is here trying to reach to somebody today you've been guilt ridden but he's come to tell you it's not too late you have a God that is on your side who does not want to see you walk away broken and despondent, but victorious and mighty. We have some victorious and mighty people in here today. We've got some stories that would blow and rock your mind today of people that have come through hell. Amen. They've walked through the fires. They've been raised, amen, in lifestyles that, that, that are, weren't conducive. And if anything, they were anti-God. And yet something in their heart kept pulling them. Kept pulling them. 
We've got some people here today that a decade ago they were sitting on a bar, bar stool. They might have gotten up on a Sunday morning and, and, and taken another uh, shot of whatever uh, that, that, that they decided to do for that day just to try to get something to numb the way that they felt. But here they are today. Amen. In God's house with hands raised. I've seen tears flow down faces today in the worship service when I know that God has reached out to us. And why are the tears flowing? The tears are flowing because I have a thankful heart today because I know more than anybody where I could be and where I probably should be had it not been for the grace and the mercies of God that were new every day. And God called out and he said, if you'll commit yourself to me, you don't have to feel empty. If you'll make a commitment to me, you won't have that have to try to look for peace somewhere else. If you'll commit to me, if you'll be disciplined, I can give you a brand new you. Hebrews 4.15, for we have not a high priest which cannot be touched with the feelings of our infirmities but was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. Verse 16 simply says this, Let us therefore come boldly before Him unto the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need.